What's up, everybody? Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to the Live Mana Network. My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and I'm so blessed to have you here. Uh, this is a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. Actually, I've never really said that. I don't really want to make this a show, but it is something that I'm genuinely uh, passionate about. I love elevating other voices, and this program is all about that. Now, uh, in the spirit of Gratitude Unfiltered, which was my old and original show, actually, it's not the original, but it was the one that God placed in my heart to do. Um, this is very unfiltered. We put a spotlight on shadow worlds. We do not hold back. We do not censor anything. And now that we, even though we're censored on social media and we had another video removed yesterday, we can't be stopped on our network. Uh, it is the Our network is called the Digital Noah's Ark for a reason. And uh, we are very, very blessed and excited to be a life raft for many people. Not It's not about us consuming all of these uh, different broadcasts and different people. It's we want to bring people onto our boat to teach them how to build their own Noah's Ark, because that is how we're going to change the world is by building arcs for each other to be able to launch our dreams, to launch the truth off of. And if enough of us are doing it, we can't be stopped. I don't care that YouTube took my video away. I don't care that Facebook suppresses our content and only shows our videos to a couple people and our posts to a couple people. I don't care. We had 300,000 people in the last the last three episodes, 300,000 people watched on the Live Mana Network. So thank you for that. Thank you for believing in what we're doing. So again, it's an ego bruise because I'm used to having a lot of views on social media, but so be it. This is part of it. But we are going, we are determined to be a vehicle for truth. We are determined to elevate other people that are speaking the truth. And we are determined, it is our purpose, it is our mission at the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation to be able to, to teach other people what we know about media, what we know about building broadcasting networks, so you can go do the same thing. We want to be Disney in reverse. In other words, when I say Disney in reverse, we don't want to own people and control people and all that. We want to set people free. We want to set people free into their God-given purpose. And the one thing about media is this. It does not matter what your prison record is. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't because half of it's indoctrination anyway, so that's a whole other thing. It doesn't matter if you're gay, bisexual, straight, trans transgender, trigendered, whatever that is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your religion is. If you know media... You can do anything you want. And that is what we teach, not to control you, to set you free. So with that said, um, I'm really excited about our guest today, Mr. Tenacity. Uh, you guys are going to love him. We had so many, I mean, we had a scheduled broadcast. And then that got, like, just, I mean, I got to tell you, the technology demons are after us, big time. <laughs> so this is the second take two um, of this of this interview. But I am so grateful for his patience because you want to hear his story. If you know my story, which is depicted in the book, The Devil Inside Me, in our movie that my wife and I made, um, I thought my testimony was pretty hardcore. But I got to tell you, I'm um, after getting to meet some of the guests, especially over the last four or five months, these stories are just shocking and heartbreaking, but inspiring, because these the people that are sharing their story, like Mr. Tenacity is about to, these are people that know what hell is. And now they are using 
the spirit inside of them to be able to go back to that same hell and set other people free. And that to me is one of the greatest gifts of all time is that God has made it where he knew that we were going to get hurt. God knew that we were going to be used and abused and everything else. We were going to be neglected and taken advantage of. He knew that we were going to become addicts. He knew that we were going to become abusers and all of the other things and deadbeat fathers and knew that we were going to get HIV. He knew these things, but yet he made it possible that we get to use all the things that were meant to hurt us and take us out to make us quit. He made it to where we get to use that to be the fuel tank in our purpose. And that to me is awesome. So you guys are in for an absolute inspiring, uh, inspiring show. You guys do not want to miss this. I promise you, I'm not going to ruin it because it's too inspiring. And we'll be right back after this. I'm rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want them rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want the finer things, the diamond rings, designer jeans, all minor things in the widest scheme. But at what cost to realize your dreams? Been bleeding in the wheel more, put the crown of thorns on, spill more. My mic bloody cause I kill more, but I'm still poor. Bottom is where I started, but I get to the top and park it. Bug up in a harlot, my battery needs charging. And to reach my target is the illest in the market. It's some liquid from my arteries, will spill onto the carpet, yeah. Everybody want fame, nobody wanna work for it. Want them all to know your name, don't wanna see no hurt for it. You want it for the rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red. We're back, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I want to say hi to Brenda really quick. Kim, good to see you guys. And listen, I really want engagement. Um, and this is engagement and you sharing is how on social media we're going to bypass censors. For those of you who don't go to Apple TV and Roku to watch us live, if you're on social media right now, please share. Um, it'll help Mr. Tenacity. His story is amazing. And that is the one way that we can frustrate the tech lords that own social media. So I'd be grateful if you share. And also, feel free to ask questions. Um, I may not get to them right away, but I will ask them, and we will share them. So um, your input, your feedback, this is something a little bit new. I'm going back to the original way I used to do this, and, um, and I want your comments. So thank you for being here. God bless you. And ladies and gentlemen, again, this story is, is inspiring. I really love this guy's spirit. And uh, I, I just think you're going to just fall in love with him. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, my new friend, Mr. Tenacity. What's up, Mr. Tenacity? How you doing, man? I am wonderful. Thank you so very much for having me. It's it's a blessing to be here. Well, we had a we had quite the adventure <laughs> getting on this broadcast, and but I'm so grateful for your patience, man, because I really want to hear. Um, you know, your story and what you're up to and what you're about and how you're using just some of the most heartbreaking things that I've ever, I could ever imagine for the good of others. So, but before we get into that, what are you grateful for today, man? You know, I am grateful for life. I am grateful for my family. Uh, I have the best kids in the world. They've been through a lot themselves and they wake up and they smile every day like, they don't have disabilities, you know, and 
to me, it just melts me every day and it gives me the motivation to, to continue to fight and do what I do. So definitely. And, you know, and that's not really easy, too, because from what I have learned about your story, you grew up with no father. Mm-hmm. And right. and then, you know, your mother uh, and I, I actually why don't you tell everybody about that? So when you were born, was your father in your life at all? No, I, I've never actually met him to this day, and I'm 40, so uh, never met him. Uh, my mom, she was addicted to drugs, and so she she had this really raging habit before I was born. When I was born, I had Herb's palsy, so my entire left side, so she took like a little hiatus, you know, doing drugs and drinking, because the doctor said, hey, you know, he's got this time period. If you don't work, you know, this left side of his body out, he'll never use it ever again. So she she did. She would work with me, and uh, eventually my, my left side started to work. Shortly after that, though, she couldn't stay away from her first love, which was, you know, drugs. And she quickly gravitated from, you know, you know how they say it's a gateway drug. Well, I, I know it's not for everyone, but it was for her. It went from drinking to marijuana to crack cocaine. And the crack cocaine became so bad that, you know, all of her money went to it. The bills weren't getting paid. We didn't have food in the house. The drug dealers to come in and basically live and do what they wanted to do in and out of our house. Uh, we actually... Uh, had like pounds of, of cocaine and crack buried in our backyard uh, that was theirs. My house was eventually graded and, uh, when I was 14 years old, and it was state and local and federal uh, agencies that raided our house. And they dug up these, these uh, little areas in the back of our yard with all these drugs that were, were back there. I had no clue they were even there. Um, you know, so that period of my life was very hard. I didn't have guidance. I definitely turned to the streets because she was strung out. And I I thought that what was around me was what I, what I was, right, as well. Like, that was all there was for me, was to be a drug dealer, was, that was, that was the highlight. If you could be a successful drug dealer, you had made it. And so I started to follow those, those same footsteps, you know, and I was getting in trouble and I was, I became, you know, my hurt became anger and that anger became the drivers of my life. Right. And I was, you know, I was so under the influence of this anger that, you know, I began to just do brazen things and, and just not care. And I was just living a wild life. You know, it, it was, man, it, it was just a hard period uh, for me to, to face. And I was, a, what's crazy is, you know, as this was taking place, um, I began to become anemic because I wasn't eating correctly. You know, my mom wasn't feeding me really. Uh, she was just strung out and I was too young to, to work a, a actual job. So, you know, and, and I was at 12 years old, you're not the greatest drug dealer, right? Uh, most of what you're doing, they're doing, you know, you're selling it for the older guys. They're taking the money. They're not really leaving you anything. So I, I didn't have a lot to to eat. So I was just eating crackers, mix them up with, 
you know, different condiments and that would be my dinner. Uh, after my house was raided, they sent me to Oklahoma to live with my aunt. And, you know, the story there became uh, equally as hard for me because, and this is also where I began to struggle uh, with the church a little bit because yeah. my aunt, she, she worked at a very large church and I'm not going to say her name or the church's name because it, it, it's here nor there. Um, but they, I, now when I got to them, I was about 14 years old and they would stick me in a corner. Okay. <laughs> and actually the front door corner and they would make me eat there, do my studies there. And I would stay there until I was time for, for bed. Now I'm 14. They're treating me like I'm two or three years old, you know? And so I would have to spend hours there if I got in trouble or if I did something they didn't like they would begin to what they call spanking, but their spanking would become excessive, right? And to the point where I was bleeding, like my my back end, my legs were, were bleeding. They were black and blue and bruised. Yeah. And this, and it was over very small, minor things. Um, and so because they were using their position in the church and their their loftiness, should I say, uh, I became very sour towards that as well. And around 15 years old, I, uh, well, let me back up. They also wouldn't allow me to, who was incarcerated at the time. And the few times that they would allow me to, uh, to like talk to my grandmother uh, from Virginia, they would monitor the phone calls. And if she or I said anything they didn't like, they would end the, the phone call. And back then, you know, it was like the old uh, phones where you could do that. You, you could hang up and, and end the phone call. Um, so I decided, hey, I'm done, right? And I'll never forget my grandmother, for whatever reason, they allowed my grandmother to talk to me. And she said, it's okay to come home. I don't know why she said that. But when she did, it sparked this thing in my head. It was time. So the first time I tried to run away, I didn't really have a good plan. I uh, got home from, from school. I hopped on my bike and I just took off, right? So I'm going around Tulsa, Oklahoma, just not knowing what I'm doing. What part of Tulsa? I broke an arrow. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah, from Oklahoma only... originally, so I, I okay. know that area. Oh, so it might not be Tulsa, but broken arrow. Um, I Same difference. Okay. They wouldn't agree um, with that. but Right. Uh, but yeah, so Broken Arrow area and uh, Rayma Bible Church or Bible College is somewhere close to there. And I actually bicycled there. I didn't know where I was going. I was lost. And I they were actually having a service and they allowed me in. I was by myself and this, I'll never forget this usher was so nice to me. He's like, I'll take care of your bike, son. And he put it, he like watched it for me the entire night. And I stayed there until the very end of the service because I felt safe and it was warm in there. And it was like, okay, somewhere I could spend some time. Sure. When I, I finally, the service ended and they were kicking people out. Of course I had to leave. And it was actually a very warming experience for me. And I'll never forget that uh, and how they treated me, but I had to leave. So I left and I kept on, you know, pedaling, went to a Walmart for about an hour lost and then finally I stopped at a gas station and I didn't know that there was a, a curfew for children under 18. So the cashier 
basically saw me coming in and saw that I'm, you know, 14, 15 years old and I'm looking at donuts because I'm starving and I'm looking at these donuts like they're steaks, you know, I'm just, you know, and uh, she was like, oh, you want one? I was like, yes. Little did I know she called the police on me and look and, you know, so in about 30 minutes, here comes my uncle with the police and, you know, that was another experience and they didn't, they weren't very happy that I ran away. Um, about two weeks later, I did my, my final attempt where I got away and I got back to Virginia and I uh, hitched a ride with a classmate that I barely knew. He, he agreed to take me to the edge of a town and he said, that's as far as I'll, I'll take you. And there was a payphone, and back then, you know, it's the quarter payphones. I'm old enough to remember. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, 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 had, I think I had enough change to make three phone calls. I, maybe two people came there the entire four or five hours I was sitting there. The second person that rolled in, I had already talked to my grandmother on the on the phone, and she agreed. Hey, I'll you know, get you a, a plane ticket. You just have to figure out a way to get to the airport. And I'm like, how am I going to do that? But God works in mysterious ways. He sent yeah. this random man who I beg, literally beg to talk to my, I had the, my last quarter worth of phone call. I said, please just call my grandmother. I promise you, I'm not lying to you. They made a deal on the phone and he took me halfway to the airport and then paid for me to take a taxi to the airport. So I get to the airport, of course, I have the tickets waiting for me and I fly back to Virginia. Well, little did I know I was on probation from my house being raided. So when I, the next day the, the sheriffs came and they arrested me and threw me in detention home uh, for breaking probation. Luckily though, uh, my, my grandmother and my aunt talked to the judge, we had a hearing and they decided to allow me to stay with, uh, get, uh, custody to be transferred to my aunt that lived in Virginia. So, you know, I, at this point, my damage had, had been done. I've, I've, you know, seen nothing when I, when I was living with my mom and all those drug dealers, violence was the answer for everything. Um, and you couple that with how angry I was because I just didn't understand why my life was like this, you sure. know, from, and I, I didn't even mention the fact that when I was going through school, they labeled me as, as an LD kid, right. Learning disability. And they, they said, Hey, you know, I, I'll never forget a, a teacher just pointing right at me and saying, you're dumb. Throwing sure. me in this. Yeah. Oh, and I, you know, it's funny the things that you remember, but it, it stuck with me and, and I really started imitating those opinions, right? And the images that I I was being told that I was. And I, I started seeing that in myself. Like, I, you know, I'm not good enough. This is all I can have. So when I got back to Virginia from Oklahoma, that mentality was, was imprinted into me. And, you know, I was, again, going down the wrong path. I, I started drinking. I started you know, smoking a lot of marijuana. And I met this young lady uh, that changed my life. And she has actually my been my wife for tw almost 20 years now. We've been together for 24. Wow. wow. And she convinced me to get my life right. 
She said, hey, if you want to stay with me, you got to stop selling drugs. You got to get an honest job. And, and, and you got to, you know, pull yourself away from some of the stuff that you're in. And I said, you know what? Okay. So wow. in a, a last ditch attempt for me to, to try to be something more, I joined the military. And that was probably the single best decision I had ever made. It, it came with its own issues with me later on down the road and its own demons, should I say, but it sure. also gave me a mentality that I could accomplish anything. There was so much more that inside of me, right? Like when you hit E, there's still 30 or 40 miles left, right? And I didn't realize that until I, I got into the army and they kind of brought that, extracted that out of me. So despite being, a, you know, having a learning disability, despite how my mom raised me and, and all the trouble I had been in, I started to excel in the military. It was kind of like the, the perfect storm for me. Uh, I was able to become an army sniper. Actually, I went through special operations sniper school. And yeah, it, it was uh, some really great experiences. I got to work with some of the, to me, some of the best uh, men this world has ever produced. And so I'm very proud of that. And towards the end of my career, I was able to begin to train them. And I was training combat applications to not just the military and special operations, but to the DEA, FBI, U.S. Marshals, um, the list goes on, SWAT teams. They all were coming to me for, for instruction. And I really found my niche in, in instructing. But I didn't want to, to give away what was really going on inside. So on the outside, I had things together, right? It looked like, hey, this guy's a sniper. This guy's, he's training people. He's got, you know, things together. Well, I was injured in Iraq. I went off of a roof head first and um, it like gnarled up my neck. Um, and then I started accumulating more injuries through training and I was blown up a couple times uh, overseas in Iraq as well. And so my, my nugget up here started getting a little, uh, a little wild. And <laughs> <laughs> so the doctors basically uh, deemed me as, as someone who was unfit to continue to, to serve. And I tried to fight it. Uh, but I, I did not win. I had too many injuries. I had multiple surgeries. Uh, it was just, it, it wasn't going to happen for me. And so I got out in 2015 after serving 10 years in, in the military. And my, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the uh, uh, idle mind is the devil's playground. But I can confirm that. Yeah, it, it certainly is. So you know, when I was active duty, I had a mission. I didn't, I still drank and I still, uh, like I said, I was still a wreck on the inside, you know, behind closed doors, me and my wife still had our issues. I was aggressive. I had a lot of PTSD and demons that no one else knew about. So when I got out, it was just, there was nothing right. Uh, there, there was no mission. There was nowhere to put any of my energy. So I began to drink like I had never 
in my life. I was drinking about a fifth of whiskey every single night. I was smoking about an ounce of weed a week. And I was trying to keep this, this thing numb. You know, I didn't want to face any of the things that, that I had been through in my life. And it wasn't just the military. It was stemming all the way back from my childhood. I was just, man, I, I was a wreck, you know, and I started losing my wife and she's my best friend. I mean, when I say she's my, she's my, my everything, she has stayed beside me through some of the hardest things that, that people can ever imagine, like deployments, like just a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Let me back up real quick before I, I discuss about this. While I was in the military, my daughter had a stroke. Uh, she was five years old. Um, and I was stationed in Germany at the time. And I was, we were actually gearing up to go to Afghanistan. So we started training during lunches and, and you know, going to, to the gym, just doing double workouts, stuff like that, trying to get our bodies uh, conditioned for the deployment. And I'll never forget, we have uh, little CQ runners, uh, barracks runners, right? That, that they sit and they have to answer the phone uh, and do things. Well, they got a phone call that my daughter was being rushed to the hospital. So they ran on foot to the uh, the fitness center. And they were like, Sergeant, 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 uh, you got to come back quick. And, and so they really didn't know what was going on. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, I don't know. It's something to do with your family, but you got to hurt. So I get back and I get to her school as they are throwing her in the back of an ambulance no one's telling me my wife is in the back of the ambulance at this point and they're they're taking off so i as soon as i hop out of the car i'm basically getting right back in the car to follow the ambulance they had to stop the ambulance because she was convulsing uncontrollably and still no one's telling me anything right i'm i'm so scared i i don't even know my wife's in shock she doesn't know what to say because she doesn't really know what's going on we get to the first hospital and they misdiagnosed her for almost 24 hours. They thought that she was having a seizure. And due to the, you know, the language barrier and just it being a uh, unqualified hospital, they didn't know how to treat her. Finally, a neurologist walked in and said, hey, have you given her an MRI? And they were like, no. He was like, what are you guys doing? Give her an MRI. The MRI showed that her brain was swollen. And that if they didn't rush her to and get emergency surgery, that she was going to die. So they rushed us to a place called Hamburg, Germany, and they have a specialty hospital for children there. Uh, they had to do a craniotomy where they basically take half the skull off to relieve the pressure of the brain. We were basically within about an hour to two hours of her dying if she hadn't got there when she did. The stroke was caused by a real rare disease that basically clogged up three of the four major arteries going up to her brain, but then it continued to move and uh, half of her right side is basically dead. Like it doesn't work to this day. So if you see an MRI, it's like black on, on the right side of the MRI. Um, they, I'll never forget this, uh, the lead doctor uh, in, in that German hospital came in and he had broken English and he looked at my wife and I and said, I'm just going to, I don't know really how to say this, but I'm just going to be straightforward with you. 
your daughter's most likely never going to walk, talk, or eat on her own ever again. And, you know, those words are, um, they're very hard to swallow as a, as a father, a parent, period, you know. And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just, they gave us a Ronald McDonald house that was attached to the, uh, a room there that was attached to the hospital. And I remember my wife and I just screaming and crying uncontrollably, like just so scared, right? Well, my wife was also nine months pregnant when this was happening. I can't make this up. So she, and after this very heartbreaking conversation with the doctor, my wife goes into labor. So I have my wife giving birth in the birthing ward, and I have my daughter in ICU with my oldest son. And I'm skating back and forth trying to, you know, be with her and trying to be with my daughter. Uh, I mean, my, my, my wife and, and our newborn. And it was just so much confusion. And I, I, you know, my mind was just spinning, you know, a thousand miles an hour. Um, so they decided, Hey, we, we've never, this is like the third case that we've seen. So we're going to have to send her to America to get the rest of her treatment. I said, okay, cool. Well, Germany wouldn't let my wife or my newborn leave. Uh, they didn't have a passport or, um, uh, the dual citizenship. He, uh, so my, my newborn son had to get dual citizenship and a passport before they would allow them to exit the country. So they put my daughter, myself, and my oldest son on a medevac flight with wounded soldiers from like Afghanistan and Iraq and flew us to Walter Reed. Uh, at the time, this was the old Walter Reed that was in Washington, D.C., not the new one in Bethesda. And so we were there. And, you know, it, it was, I didn't have a place. So I basically had to send my son to live with his grandmother in Virginia. And I had no place to live. And my wife was in Germany with my newborn son. Um, so I, I lived in a room with my daughter, basically, for a couple months until they could, you know, get their passport and fly in. Um, you know, I told my daughter that she was going to walk. And we... And this is the power of, of God and our minds, right? So I put it in her mind's eye that you're going to walk. And then sometimes I would walk her by, you know, just help her walk, right? And we would stay, I would stand her up and we had all these stuffed animals. And she was mad. And I said, I know you're mad. Let's throw these stuffed animals, right? So we would throw <laughs> them against the wall. Just, <clears throat> well, she couldn't do it with her left hand. But boom, because this whole left side is, is not working at this point, right? So... She was, and, but what we were doing is we were actually teaching her to stand in her believing that she could. Now, mind you, this entire time they're saying she will never walk again. By the time we got transferred to the, she had to go to a rehabilitation, a live-in rehabilitation center uh, directly after her stint at Walter Reed. By the time the transfer happened, she was walking on her own. It was you know, she needed some assistance, but she was moving her legs and walking. And I actually have a video on my, 
I think it's on my Facebook page, and of of her of me holding her, and then she, she's doing the work. She's walking. You know, I'm just making sure she doesn't fall. You know, and, and that's that's the power that people don't realize we have on the inside of us, right? And I, I've seen it firsthand. This little girl, I mean, she was eating on her own. She was talking all by the time we left, and they said it was never going to happen, right? So as we move forward, uh, I have two more sons, right, in the process uh, before I leave the military. Both of them are diagnosed with autism. (laughs) And they're both on different spectrums. One is nonverbal, and the other one is like super kind of like, like he would just cry and scream and just be like uncontrollably, like for like, I'm talking three to four hours of just screaming. And you got the other one who just, he, well, he can't talk, right? He can't talk, but he's quiet and he's just kind of hanging out. So we have a daughter who we're trying to do intensive uh, rehab with. And now we have two younger sons that are also now doing therapies and rehab. So, and then you have me in the military Right. And I am, they're still working me, you know, yeah, they were, they were, they were good about it for the first little bit, but you know, like any job, especially the military, they, they have their mission and their mission is more important than what you got going on. So you have to, you have to meet the mission. Right. Um, so when I exited the army, there was just a lot going through me right and we were still in the process of you know helping my daughter and helping my sons get to where they needed to be and of course mind you i have my oldest son who's completely normal that's having to you know kind of figure this out and almost probably feeling forgotten about right uh as this is all moving along you know uh so we have all these unique challenges going on just on in the home front I, so then I break down once I, I leave the army, like I, my mind just breaks and I'm drinking and I'm smoking and I don't care. Right. I'm not present. And what my kids and my family need the most is me being present and I'm not there. Right. Even though I'm there, I'm just wasting space. I'm not really there, you know? Um, and that's two, 2015, right? 2015, I, I, I exit the army. And I'm kind of going down the spiraling path of, of just gnarliness. And so I decide, hey, I'm going to get on a motorcycle to try to help calm my mind. Try to put my energy in a positive direction. So I do. You know, I hop on this motorcycle. I begin to ride again. And at first, it's great, right? Uh, one night I'm riding my motorcycle and I'm at a stoplight. The light turns green. I'm taking a left cause I'm going to hit I-95 and go home. Uh, some kid around 19, 20 years old, probably, you know, playing Pokemon go or something. Right. Uh, he just goes through the light. I mean, he has a red light. He doesn't even touch the bricks. I didn't look right. I should have, but I did not look right. I just thought it was clear. And I took off. He basically blew right through me and put my body into a a guardrail. Everybody thought I was going to die. 
but I didn't. You know, I, I, I actually walked away from that accident with no broken bones. I have a large gash on my leg where like a piece of the motorcycle went through my calf. And then uh, I had a really severe concussion, probably a, you know, borderline TBI. And that was really the significance of it. But I was very, very frightened after this happened. Like I didn't want to get back on a motorcycle. Uh, and I had already had so many injuries in the military that this, him hitting me was just like, I, my body was hurting. So, you know, I turned to what I always turned to, alcohol, doing smoking, right? Just trying to, using that as an excuse. And that's all it is. It's, it's, it's an excuse, right? It's a crutch. And I, I used it as a crutch. So the Army taught me to face your fears. So I have this thing with fear. And, you know, it's funny, though, we, we, we did what we want to face, right? Um, we, we, we determine what the priority, right? And I prioritized getting back on a motorcycle. I said, you know, I'm scared of stoplights and all this stuff. I'm going to get back on this motorcycle. I'm going to prove myself wrong. Not I'm going to face all the stuff that happened in my childhood uh, and be a better father. Nothing like that, right? I'm, I'm going to get on a motorcycle. That's, that's, that's what I said, right? So, and that's what, that's what uh, you know, I do. And in 2020, just shy of two years from my previous wreck, uh, accident, I'm riding with a group of friends. Uh, and I'm in the front of, of, of them. There's a, a minivan beside us, and his lane down. He doesn't look over, and I don't know how you don't hear five Harley motorcycles beside you, but he apparently didn't, and he just came right over now we're going about 65 miles an hour, you know? He comes over so fast that he plants my bike into the Jersey barrier. It never falls back over. That's how hard he hit. And he actually dragged it a while, they said. Uh, and I, they were expanding 95 when this happened. And I flew into that construction zone. I, I flatlined on the way to the hospital. So I passed away once and then uh, the injuries were so bad after the first surgery, I had to have a, a immediate second surgery. And I, I, they're saying that maybe the drugs interacted wrong with me, but then I basically flatlined again right before I was going into the surgery room and they had to rush me uh, into uh, a different room. And I, I remember what's crazy is I remember uh, them holding me and I was completely naked I remember them having two IVs on me trying because my heart rate was like at 196 and they thought I was gonna like blow a gasket, man. Um and they're, they're holding me and everything's fuzzy in my like I when I when I look back, it's like like I can see it, but it's fuzzy. But I can hear everything. And I remember pleading with the, the doctor to save me because I needed to get back to my kids. And they did. They they saved me. I woke back up in ICU. I was in ICU for seven days uh, prior, so I before I could get my my next surgery. And I don't know how many listeners you're gonna have that has been in an ICU room. Uh, and you know, granted, this is 2020, right? So COVID is is existing. So my wife has yet to be able to see me. 
my kids, none of them can see me. I have no phone because it was on the motorcycle, right? So that's who knows where. So I have the hospital phone and I have reruns for seven days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, it was crazy. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had to face me, right? I had to, I could, there was nowhere to run, right? I couldn't have run if I wanted to. I, everything was broken. I had a broken femur. Uh, my, my pelvis was crushed. My hip was crushed. I had a fractured neck. Uh, I had a severe TBI. I wasn't going anywhere, right? And I, I looked very deep within myself. And it was, you know, in, the, in your intro, you talked about, you know, there's bad things happening to us and us finding, you know, the positive out of it, right? Extracting the, the learning lessons, the, the good things from it, and then being able to use that, not just to help and, and put, you know, fill in the holes of, of your own armor, but to hopefully help somebody else moving forward. And it was in that moment that I, I knew that my purpose was much bigger than me. Right. Like I have, I've been blown up. I've been off roofs. I, I you know, and almost died. I've, I've been in two motorcycle accidents and that's just uh, like this much of, of the other crazy stuff I've done in my life that probably should have killed me. Right. And yet here I am. Right. Hmm. And I, I knew that God had something bigger for me. Right. And, and I needed to, to begin to help people and people have they have begged me for years childhood and talk about the the different things that I had to go through to help other people and I just I didn't want to do it I didn't want to open myself up maybe because I was scared of what someone would think or say or you know mm -hmm. believe about me who knows right probably um no definitely right but it was in that moment that I, I just I knew like without a shadow of a doubt so when I got home I can't say that uh, I didn't take another sip of alcohol or didn't smoke, because I did, I tried it. I tried to use it as a crush, oh, this will help. And, but slowly, as I, began, I started getting into personal growth and, and, and you know, really focusing on, on my, my demons and, and learning how to slay them. And as I did, I literally went cold turkey from alcohol, and then I was just smoking marijuana, right? Uh, I took one vacation to Jamaica once I learned how to walk again because they, they didn't know if I was going to be able to walk again. So I had to prove everyone wrong. Um, and so I did. And I went to Jamaica. I was able to smoke there because it was on my bucket list. And when I came back, I quit cold turkey. And I told my wife, I said, I'm done. I'm going to use my energy to better myself and better the family to the best of my ability. And so I began to speak. I began to, you know, start writing, uh, and now doing podcasts and just trying to hopefully inspire some people through the things that I've been through. So long. And you story. are, and you are, and I think that's important. I want to ask you something though, because there's a lot of people that are at a place in their life where they can feel that pull. The whether they look at it as the Holy Spirit, they look at it as God or whatever, intuition. 
they're they're being pulled, but they're scared because they're like, well, my story, other people are going to get hurt. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I need, I don't want my my kids to know that their dad was beating the crap out of me or cheating on me or whatever it is. Like they're they're keeping a secret or they're they're giving themselves an excuse to not tell their story. What can you say to those people? That they're living in a, in a prison, right? And uh, as soon as you start, you know, it's funny, right? Like this thing about fear. Uh, I have, at least in my life, everything that I have been scared of and dragged my feet to not face, right? Like, oh no, I'm not gonna do this, right? I make it so humongous in my mind. Like, like you know, a mount, uh, like a little molehill does truly become mountain. Yeah. Right? In our mind's eye. And we begin to see this thing as this monster and we're like, I, but it's faced it. As soon as I, I took action, right? And, and move forward, even if it's small steps, right? I began to realize this isn't that bad. This isn't what I thought. Your kids are going to appreciate your honesty. My kids know I cheated on my wife. Yes. My kids know that that I was physical with my wife, right? There's I'm not gonna sit here and, and you know make an excuse for a, a drunken version of me, right? But what they do know now is that that was a drunken version of me. And now they see this. This this version, the version that is present, the version that is honest, the version that is guiding them and giving them honest direction about what life is and isn't right. There there is no substitute for being honest and real and authentic, because that's where the change is going to happen. That's where you're going to reach your kids. That's where your wife is going to want to like I am the most happy that I've ever been in my life. I have fake stuff all through my body. I wake up happy. My relationship with my wife is amazing. And there's no alcohol. There's no crutches. There's honesty, right? And we've been through the ringer, right? But we're allowing to take the, because, all right, here's the thing with, with that, right? Love is a decision, okay? It, it is a a decision that you have to make every single day and renew it, right? Every single day, because there's going to be days you don't you don't feel in love. There's going to be days that the person beside you feels like your biggest enemy. Yeah. So you have to decide. No, this is we're 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 you know I always say we're thugging it out, right? We're going to do this, <laughs> okay? Well, you know, uh, and, and when you do it together, right, and you begin to get on one accord, okay man, uh, watch out. You're going to start accomplishing the goals that you guys have wanted. You, you'll raise your kids the way you wanted to. The bank account will start looking the way you wanted it to. Like things begin to change all because, you know, you're, you're taking the right approach, action and not allowing fear to stop you. That's right. I love it, man. Chad, I, uh, I really appreciate your story. Um, cause I know that, I mean, there's more depth to it than even what you've told. And there's a lot of ins and outs, but the fact is that you've gone from not having a parental, you know, uh, influence whatsoever, having your own struggles. And then you've found this way to be able to, to, to 
to heal from that, to now be there and be present and be everything that your mother and father were, were not for your kids. And it's not like you were given a situation where it was going to be super easy. I mean, my experience with, you know, I dated a girl for several years that had an autistic child. That is not an easy undertaking. And now you have two. And then, I mean, you know, like life has thrown some things at you. But the thing about it is, is that God must have known that you were made to be able to handle it, not only handle it, but use it in a way and be a good steward of it and love it, love that situation enough that now you get to break the cycle of what you went through. And now you get to create a legacy of love and, 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 and a family and all of that. And I think that that is truly, truly inspiring. So what are you doing like now? Like what are your goals and where are you looking to go with speaking and writing and everything else? Yeah, so I actually just had an article published by uh, Authority Magazine. It just got published today. Uh, so that's pretty uh, cool. Yetzi? No, not Yetzi. Uh, yeah, you say it like something like that. I can't say Yeah, he's name. cool. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have another article that he he's uh, wanting to get from me uh, that will probably get published as well. And that's about journaling and how journaling saved a lot of who I and, and really helped my mindset. Uh, just yeah. writing things down, you know, being positive. But uh, with the speaking, I definitely want to continue to to grow my reach. I feel like that's really how you can you can reach people. And I, and I want to eventually start conferences and bring some because I I love doing outreach work with at risk kids. Uh, matter of fact, we were doing it at the school here. And I was teaching them basketball, and the deal was they had to keep the nose clean, stay out of trouble. Hmm. I don't care about your grades. Just be respectful basketball two times a week. And I want to, because if all you see is what's around you, you tend to think that's all you can be. So I want to start having conferences and taking these young, these young men and women uh, and placing them in these environments with you know, and rubbing elbows with successful people and seeing the the outcomes they can really have if they put a little initiative and and you know uh, put it in their in their mind that this is where they want to be and, and what they want to do. So I want to start doing that, but I'm I'm definitely writing a lot. I'm gonna write a book uh, as well. So I have a lot of things going uh, or getting in the works right now. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Very cool, man. Well, tell everybody how they can follow you and support your journey. Yes, uh, MrTenacity.com, right? Uh, if you want to reach me, it's MrTenacity40 at gmail.com. And my Facebook is just Chad Osinga. If you message me on Facebook, I have a Facebook group and I can add you to it. I post there every day. It's all like, you know, mindset and uh, things of that nature that will help you become a better you. I promise you. Very cool. Well, man, I really, really appreciate you. We're going to, because of all the, the craziness that went on to get this broadcast going, we're going to actually replay this later and then, of course, publish this. Um, so those of you that are watching, you know you know the drill. Come to our website. You'll see the whole media kit, where to follow uh, Chad and Mr. Tenacity and uh, support his journey. And also, where you can pray for him, too. Um Chad, thank you. I, I'm grateful for you. I want to encourage you to buyyourname.com. Okay. 
Yeah, I'll explain. Mm-hmm. I'll explain later after. Um, but I, dude, I appreciate you so much, man. God bless. God bless you and your family. God bless all your children, and we can do anything to support you. Please let us know. Well, thank you for having me. It was a blessing, and you know, an honor. Yes, sir. God bless you. See you soon, man. Right. Bye bye. Right. Thank you, Mr. Tenacity. Everybody, it's got quite a story. And normally, I like to, you know, throw in questions and stuff like that. But the nature of that story is, it just needs to be heard. Because here's why. I mean, again, normally I like to jump in and try to guide, shape, whatever. But I knew after reading his his profile and kind of what he's about and what he's gone through, he needs to tell a story. Because I know several of you that will be listening to this, reading it, or watching it now, later, whenever. I know some of you personally, and I know that you can relate to his story. And I know a lot of you have been waiting on the big breakthrough to happen for you before you do, you take the step in faith. It's actually the reverse. You step in faith and then you'll see the breakthroughs. And look, the big breakthrough, what you'll learn about the big breakthrough is this. You're going to be waiting for another one right after you get that one. The little breakthroughs are always more satisfying because it shows you that you're on the right track. And, and it's tough, that faith journey that anyone walks. It's, it's so interesting to me, like how our lives really do mirror the life of Jesus. And whether you're a believer or not, our lives do mirror that. We have our own hero's journey to walk. We all have persecution and hardship, especially if you're standing in your truth You're going to piss people off. People aren't going to like it. And it's it's going to be tough. And at the same time, you'll attract your tribe. And here's what I've learned about sharing the truth. It doesn't make you very popular. And, and And it can be very, very lonely at times. And for whatever persecution that comes at you, the thing is, is that you, you do get to look around you when you're sharing and speaking your truth. And you realize that the people that are next to you are there and they're in it to win it. Meaning they're there for you for the long haul. But if you look around you and you know that you're keeping secrets, you know that you're not going for it. And you look around you and you see all of these people you got to know that that's not your tribe because you're not living in your truth. And so you can be, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for those of you who have a bunch of friends or you have a big group of people you hang around with, have you ever felt really lonely in those moments? Truth is the greatest superpower of all time. And I know some people would say love because it's the greatest commandment, but there is no love without truth. And there is no truth without love. And it takes a lot of love to tell the truth because you're staring fear and all these other things right in the face when you do it. 
So the world is waiting for you. They're dying for your truth. They need it. And his story, Mr. Tenacity's story, is actually a little bit more intense than he even shared. But it's in itself is intense, especially if you heard all of it and all of what he was saying. He's been through a lot and he's still doing it. You can do it too. Every one of you were made to overcome and defeat your giants in your life. Even the giants that are, you know, that you've brought on yourself. You are designed to overcome those obstacles. Fear tells you no, but fear is a mother freaking liar. Truth. The truth is that you're victorious. At least I, that's my experience. And of course, I didn't ever realize that without Jesus. And the first time, it's kind of like when you're scared to ride a roller coaster, because this is life with Jesus, is the roller coaster. You're scared to ride the big, scary, giant roller coaster. But then you do it. And you get through it. And you're screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And then you're like, eh, it was kind of fun. That's what faith is. You step in faith. You trust God. And then all of a sudden, like, hey, that wasn't so bad. And then you get your next obstacle. And then you face it. Hey. Think I can trust you, God. And each time, then it just gets addicting. Because you know, you don't just think and you don't just believe. You know, right on the other side of fear is a breakthrough, is victory. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, thank you, Chad, for being here. God bless you all. And uh, thank you for watching.